Blog Talk Radio. You can't always get what you want. You 
that are up here in San Francisco um, coming to Super Bowl, and it's crazy in this whole area. People are coming in town. So, uh, yeah, so this book, and you, Fred, you've written so many books. I mean, you're on Amazon. You're all over the place. But let me give out your website really quickly, and it's fredgoodman.net, and that's F-R-E-D-G-O-O-D-M-A-N.net. And you right. can see all the different books that he's written. And um, his latest book, which is The Al- the Man Who Bailed Out the Beatles, Made the Stones, and Transformed Rock and Roll. So let's talk about that. Okay. And <laughs> no. by the way, before we before we move off our little social media, I should say there's a Facebook page for yes. the Alan Klein book. Come come visit. Uh, but, yes, oh, yeah. uh, it's it's great to be here, and, uh, you know, this is something that uh, kind of fell into my lap. I, I used to wow. write for for uh, Billboard and Rolling Stone, and I met Spencer Drake. Uh, you know, somebody, he probably doesn't want me to say how many years ago I met him. <laughs> no, I do. <laughs> hey, Fred, Fred, you, Fred, I remember, and you wrote something on album cover that I did. I either it was Joan Jett or something at that point, and... Uh, I remember you wrote some article on me, which I really, I remembered your name as soon as, uh, and by the way, uh, Holly and I would like to thank um, John Hammond at Missing Pieces for getting this interview together mm-hmm. with all of us, you know, and um, anyway, Fred, we go way back. Yeah, I know, we go way back. Yeah, uh, but, but you know, I've basically been covering the, biz- the, the music as a business. Uh, and what had happened was I had written a couple of books, as you know. You know, I, I wrote a book about the relationship between managers and artists called The Mansion on the Hill. And, and, uh, and I had written a book actually about uh, Edgar Bronfman Jr., who had taken over Warner Music with an attempt to bring wow. it back and sort of deal with what was going on with Napster and the online situation. And after I had written it, I, I got a call from... Jody Klein, Alan Klein's son, mm. and, and Alan Klein had 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 passed away a couple of years earlier. Um, but you know, I, I don't know how old you are, Holly. I, I certainly know how old Spencer is. Uh, <laughs> you know, but but you know, when, when we were growing up, I'm old you know, enough. I'm old okay, enough. Okay, well, 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 you know, if you grew up when I did, you know, when and, and you liked the Beatles and you you were a Rolling Stones fan, I you know. Love. The Beatles love the Rolling Stones. Ollie's you know a what? Beatles all freak. Ages, and you know what? All ages, it goes straight mm-hmm. through. Isn't that weird? The Stones and the Beatles for all ages, even young kids, mm-hmm. love the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. Well, so, well but back when they were around, you know what? What I was, what I was just <laughs> going to mention is, you know, back then, you know, because of them, you you, you might hear the name Alan Klein. Of course, you know, he managed yeah. both the Beatles and the Rolling Stones at various times. And and what you heard mm-hmm. about him was never anything good. Right. You know, if you were if yeah. you were a fan of you know, if you were a fan of those bands, he was kinda of like the snake in the Garden of Eden. You know, there were there were all these stories. Mm-hmm. He was the guy who like robbed the Rolling Stones. He was the guy who broke up the Beatles when Yoko didn't break them up. You oh, know, that that was sort of like the the story on Alan Klein. Now, you know, uh-huh. in my years as a reporter, I would hear his name again. You know, I found out before that he'd been Sam Cooke's manager. You know, and he worked with a lot of other artists, too, including Donovan. Love and, Sam Cooke. You know, Donovan. the Animals, Phil Spector. Yeah. 
you know, Bobby Womack. I mean, he had, you know, a lot of other things throughout his career and made some movies and stuff like that. So you started to think, well, you know, if all these other people worked with him as well, you know, there must be a little bit more to the story. But I never really gave it much thought until his son called me, you know. And basically what had happened was Alan had died. Uh, and a lot was written, you know, when he died about him, and, you know, some of it not very flattering, especially in the British press, you know, was sort of like, you'd see headlines on his obituary, like, you know, music industry shark Alan Klein dies, you know, that <laughs> kind of thing. And, you know, his son came to me, who now runs the ABCO, the, the company that Alan started, and said, look, you know, mm-hmm. a, a lot's been said about my dad. Some of it's true, you know, some of it's not true. You know, I would just like, I'm interested in finding somebody who understands the business, you know, who would like to write about this, who's interested in it. And if you're the person who's interested in this, we're willing to let the chips fall where where they may. You know, you decide wow. what you think, you write what you think, and yeah. in return for that, we'll open up all our files to you. You know, now, the oh, files wow. of Abco, opening the files of Abco <laughs> oh, means... Wow. We're going to give you all the Beatles and Rolling Stones contracts, all the correspondence, all the lawsuits. You know, so so to me it was sort of like a, you know, it was like an offer I couldn't refuse. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, so it did I mean, fall uh, your lap, I, I worked on, yeah. hey, Fred, I worked on John Lennon's Imaginaires. I want you to know that. I worked on oh. John Lennon's Trade Ads. I worked on the Trade Ads, oh, okay. my first job in New York. And I met Steckler, awesome. Alan Steckler once, right. and I met John and Yoko twice uh, when they were living in the West Village then, you know. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Down, and, down um, G- so that yeah. linked me up to that. And um, and recently we did a book, which uh, APCO had some sleeves in, but uh, but uh, the the book is, uh, I, I mean, Holly and I got, uh, I know, a number of questions. Amazing book. Right? It's an amazing book. You got a amazing lot of facts, a lot of, a lot of incredible stories in a this book. A lot of Right. Stories. Yep. It's kind of like a lot of stories you had to be there to actually know that it really happened. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I, I just was like blown away with some of the things that you brought out and you actually talked about. And and that's really great that a lot of this was really brought out because a lot of people really aren't clear on a mm-hmm. lot of what really goes on True. behind the scenes. They think right. people just show up, they have a manager, they book the shows, they go, they play, but they don't know all the intricate details of everything that goes on behind it in the personal lives of everybody. And that's what that's you right. really brought out in this book. You know? I mean, there's a, there's a really touching, uh, I mean, Holly and I got stuff to ask you, but there's one thing that I wanted to touch on, which was really amazing of all of everything mm-hmm. else that you were in the book, is that Alan Steckler visits... Yoko, after John dies, and she yeah. says to him, she, right, she says to him, I wish you, it's almost like I wish it was you and not John. I well, to, to, not to Alan Steckler, to Alan Klein. Alan, Alan Steckler, Klein, right, Alan yeah. Klein. Yeah. Not Alan Steckler, yeah. Alan Klein, yeah. 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 Well, look, you can I certainly understand you. somebody being that upset. I mean, you know, it's kind of the amazing, in, you know, but the amazing thing to me, of course, and it speaks loads about Klein, yeah. is that that's not a deal breaker to him. Right. You know, mm-hmm. he kind of like, you know, tries to immediately get beyond that 
And it's, you know, well, it's for complicated reasons, you know. I mean, I'm sure his feelings are hurt. I'm sure he's devastated by the remark. I'm sure he's trying to see it in context. But, you know, he's also, he's a manager. and he, he, He's still thinking, you know, I want to be involved with Yoko and John's business. Yeah, there was a uh-huh. quote that you wrote. This is really a great quote that uh, it says, the deck was stacked unfairly against artists in recording deals uh, in the segment with Sam Cooke. And, and that kind of like gives you the in on Alan Klein. I think he always felt that with everybody, right? Everybody was uh-huh. treated unfairly, right? That's a well, basic. He, yeah, you know, Alan's, Alan's background, as the book talks about, is that he was an accountant. And he originally started out doing audits for artists, where he would go in and look for wow. payment by record companies and by publishers. And, you know, he did such a good job for Sam Cooke that Sam said, would you be my manager? And that's how he wound up moving from being an accountant to being a manager. But, yes, he was an advocate, you know, and he saw that there was, you know, this sort of systemic abuse of artists. Now, because Alan was more successful than anybody else in getting artists' money, he took a bigger cut than anybody else for his services. Yeah. And right. this is where he sort of gets into trouble later on with artists. Yeah. And, and then, you know, she another, another classic quote was Marianne Faithful, where she said that uh, at the time she was going out with oh, Mick Jagger, that, that, that Klein yeah. supported, you know, Klein uh, was, good for, uh, was good and bad for the Stones, but he did the biggest thing for them. He broke them in America, and they right. had to do that. If he didn't do that, that group would have been nothing, right? Well, that's, I mean, it's really interesting. It's hard to have that perspective today because, look, you know, when Klein gets involved, it's such a different business. You know, we're talking 1964 that he meets the Rolling Stones, right? The Rolling Stones are not the biggest, the world's greatest rock and roll band at that point, right? In fact, they're not doing very well in America compared to Jerry and the Pacemakers, you know, or, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of other bands, right? Herman's Hermits, you know, that, that kind of thing. And uh, they really need to get broken here, and Klein gets them the right promotion in America, the right tours in America. You know, he improves their deals significantly and puts money in their pocket, you know, and really sort of takes them to the next level. Yes, that's true. Now, mm-hmm. the kind of money he puts in their pocket now, they make it a night. Mm, right. Right. I mean, then, that's you know, amazing. he... he yeah, it is amazing. You know, he got them, you know, a yeah. couple of million dollars for the, you know, for to extend their deal by seven years, you know, and they were ecstatic mm-hmm. about it. But, you know, now they would make that in a night. Right. Yeah, see, that's the thing, you know. Alan probably knew, and from reading what you wrote, being that he was an accountant, he was really, he was really savvy as far as the money part of it. And he knew Absolutely. how to Absolutely. maximize profitability for a lot of people. And, and how to maximize profitability and, for yeah. himself. You know? Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, yeah, absolutely. you know. I mean, John Lennon really loved him, right? I mean, John Lennon. He certainly did at first. Boy. You know, I mean, there, there's yeah. a honeymoon. Uh, there's a honeymoon, <laughs> you know, of a year or two, you know, where they're really. You know, he believes that Alan is the guy who's going to clean up everything. I mean, w- what happens ultimately, you know, and it's interesting, you know, he doesn't, you know, McCartney does not want to be managed by Klein. That's he right. wants to be managed by his his in-laws, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Eastmans. Eastmans. Uh, 
and and this is a big rift. You know, the the book talks extensively about this. I mean, this is a big rift in the Beatles. You know, the other Beatles. You know, it's like Lennon on one side, McCartney on the other, and really Harrison and Starr. You know, decide they're going to go with Lennon. They would rather you know follow John than have McCartney and his family running the Beatles business. Right. So there's oh, yeah. this split. Yeah. You know, and um, ultimately it winds up in court. And it's this that really ultimately leads to Alan's breakup, you know, with the other Beatles. Not not that they thought he was dishonest, not that they wanted to, you know, leave him. He just refused to settle with McCartney. He was a very stubborn guy. You know, he couldn't concede that he had to make some sort of settlement with them. And, you know, it came to the point where a court was managing the Beatles' money, and Alan was lending them money, and they really just wanted to put an end to it and get their, you know, uh, the, the, their on, business yeah. finished, yeah, exactly, and move on, you know. So yeah. it really, that was the frustration. It wasn't anything other than that. Yeah. You know you know what made really freaked me out also when I read was that he worked with the Kinks as well. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's like, right. that's insane. That's, that's well, pretty look, cool. Well, look, you know, he, here, it's really phenomenal. I mean, Alan is one of the first guys who's going into record company offices and basically mm-hmm. saying to the record companies, you know, if you don't make us happy, we're not going to give you any more records. And you can sue wow. us if you want, but that won't get you any records. He, he, had, uh, mm-hmm. he was close with Mickey, Mickey Most, too. That was a big That thing was a very, him. very key thing in Mickey. That's kind of a, a, it's an interesting story because Alan went to London trying to get the Beatles business, you know. The fact yeah. that he managed the Beatles was the culmination of years of chasing them. You know, it was like his dream to manage the Beatles. And right. in fact, it was one of his problems with the Rolling Stones because he really didn't care that he managed the Rolling Stones. Mm. You know, to him, he it was the Beatles or it. nobody. Well, I mean, yeah. he did it. He was happy to make money off them, but he certainly didn't view mm-hmm. the Rolling Stones the way he viewed the Beatles. You know, mm-hmm. as far as he was concerned, the Beatles were going to be his ultimate vindication and prove that he was like the greatest business manager around because they were the greatest band in the world, and that was kind of how he saw it. But uh, he went over to try and get the Beatles, you know, to do some business for the Beatles, and Brian Epstein wasn't interested. So this is back when Klein was still struggling along, and he really didn't want to leave England without landing some business. So he went to see Mickey Most, who he'd heard about, you know, in America from, uh, what's his name, uh, you know, who managed uh, Led Zeppelin. Um, oh, yeah. Peter Grant. Uh-huh. Peter Grant yep. was then working as the road manager for the animals yeah. in America, and uh, the animals were produced by Mickey Most. So Mickey also had Herman's Hermits and some other bands, and Alan went to him and he said, look, you know, if you'll let me be your American manager, I'll get you a million dollars. Now, now this oh, is well. 1963, okay? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, at the time when, you know, a big score for a producer like Mickey Most was $10,000. So, so to say dollars. I'm going to get you a million dollars, you know, it, it was like a ludicrous kind of thing, you know. But he basically made them an offer they couldn't refuse. He said, look, give me your contract. Show me what you're doing. Give me a month to put together another plan. And if you approve mm-hmm. the plan, we'll go ahead. And not only that, it won't cost you anything. I'll get my end out of your record company in America. 
I mean, how could you beat that deal? There, you know, so he and his, his Mickey and his partner went out of the meeting laughing and thinking Helen was crazy. And a month <laughs> later, he came back with a plan, and you know, they basically went to war with all his record companies and publishers, and they made new deals. And you know, Mickey got his million dollars. Wow! And look at That's that. Amazing. So, so suddenly you know everybody's going, who's this guy, Alan Klein, who made Mickey Mouse? Right. Yep. That's basically you know, what Andrew Logaldum hears and why the Stones get involved. That's right. crazy. You know, what I wanted to ask you was about Alan and what he did before that got him into, besides him being an accountant, what what was he you talk a little bit about his childhood and a little bit about what he, where he came from and stuff. Yeah, it's very that's, unusual, that's isn't it? interesting. Yeah, you know, Alan. That. Yeah, Alan grew up in Newark, New Jersey, and his parents were immigrants. Mm-hmm. His dad was a kosher butcher, and his mother died when Alan was six months old. Oh my God! So, wow. You know, Alan. Alan. You know, is in. He's an infant. He goes to live with his grandparents, uh, but his father is still taking care of three young girls, and it's too much. So he decides to put Alan and two of the daughters into a foster home, you know, into into uh, a foundling home, an orphanage. Uh, wow. And they went in, and, you know, one of Alan's sisters was only there a little while, but Alan and another sister were there five or six years. Uh, and and they very rarely saw their father. They saw him maybe twice a year. Uh, and, you know, the, maybe a grandmother would come and visit them on the bus, that kind of thing. And, you know, this had a profound impact on Alan. You know, he was... Uh, you know, an orphanage kid, and he, he really had a chip on his he's shoulder about it. He was in survival mode. Yeah, he's he was. He went into survival. You know, but yeah. two interesting. You know, yeah. a couple of interesting things happened because you know mm-hmm. later on when Alan was in the army, you know he started meeting guys and finding out that like you know especially he, he was involved with a medical unit, and he met a lot of doctors, mm-hmm. and he was very surprised to hear that like these doctors found his orphanage childhood sort of exotic. You know, that he would tell his stories of growing up in an orphanage, and suddenly he wasn't, you know, an outcast. He was like something from a Dickens novel to them. So he started seeing this, you know, as a calling card. And by the time he got to John Lennon, he had honed this so beautifully that Lennon saw him as sort of like a brother in arms, you know, because Lennon had a tremendous chip on his shoulder. You know, right. he felt that yeah. the world had always treated him bad. And he right. saw Klein, well, look, you know, Klein, he's an up-from-the-street guy like me. Right, exactly. You know, he's right. he's mm-hmm. the same kind of guy, all those bastards, they don't want to give him his due. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. they really kind of bonded over this. Right. Yeah. So a lot of it is, you know, Alan gets clever. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> they, they said that yeah. when he was married, I mean, he, had an, he, he was going out with this other woman, and a lot of... People I noticed in the book was saying this is really strange the way he led his life. It was kind of like he had this affair, but he wanted to keep the marriage. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know it's it's one of the great mysteries of Alan. You know he 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 wanted to control his world. He never wanted people to leave him. <laughs> Holly, love it. You know, and and on on top of that. You know, he 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 would uh, make sure that nobody left him. I mean, he was a very controlling man. You know, there are very funny stories. I mean, his his nephew Michael, who who is now the attorney for Abco, right, and worked mm-hmm. for him, tells all sorts of funny stories. You know, one of which was that at some point he he got tired of fighting with Uncle Alan and decided to leave. 
you know, and he was going to take his secretary from ABCO with him. And to make sure she didn't leave, Alan doubled her salary. You know, and he would do things like that. You know, he was, uh, he, he spent money like crazy. You know, I mean, you know, no one ever paid for anything when Klein was around, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, so it was kind of like the thing where if you went out, he bought you whatever you wanted. Yeah. He bought you whatever you, you, listen, if you went out, you went out to, you know, to the Nick game and you sat courtside. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and uh-huh. and you know his Rolls Royce was waiting next to the garden when you got out. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, no one paid for anything. If there was something more than first <laughs> class, you were going to do that. <coughs> well, you know, I mean, where uh, I, <laughs> I don't know. We got to get the limo, Holly. Where's the limo? Well, you know, I mean, I want the Nick, limo. You know, Mick Rock. You know, Mick Rock tells a you know a story that. You know, Mick had a had a huge, massive oh, car yeah. in there. Oh yeah, Alan paid for his operation. Oh. Alan, Alan, you know, had him moved from a Staten Island hospital, you know, into Manhattan. That's an incredible story. Major cardiac this ward. Is you, know, funny. you know, he jokes. I mean, Mick, he says, "Oh, you know, they only kept me alive because they were afraid they'd lose Alan as a donor to the hospital." <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's incredible. Oh, I love my it. God. We've had Mick on our show quite a few times, and we're yeah, looking to yeah. have him on soon again. But wow, you know, talk about talk about the cast of characters that are in this, um, and all the different <laughs> personalities that are in this. Yeah. This is just like crazy. This is an amazing book, Fred. And I mean, you are an accomplished author. You've written other books. This is your first book, I think, that deals with really the music industry, though. Well, no, I've written about the music industry before, but it's, it, you know, because this is kind of my thing from working at Billboard and Rolling uh-huh. Stone. But, uh, uh-huh. you know, it, it's real. this one, you know, is one I really enjoy doing. I mean, just because, you know, there's there's a sense that, you know, people think they know what the story was, and you get into it and you realize uh-huh. that, you know, it's, it's so much more and it's so much different than what it the is. perception is. Yeah. yeah. You know, when... When you were writing this book, were there any parts of the book that really, when you were when you were actually penning it and putting it together and editing it and and just looking at it, did some of it shock you? Did were there any parts of it that really got to you that really you were got emotionally involved in and or but felt something that, more? That that that's a great question. I mean, you know, I I, I think what I was shocked by was you know how complicated people are. <laughs> You know, uh-huh. I mean, people undertake things for so many reasons, and um, it's it's so hard to pigeonhole them. I mean, and and they feel guilt about it, and they they are, you know, just you talked about Klein, for example, with you know how he lived with one woman and wouldn't marry her and wouldn't divorce his wife, you know, and he's a control freak, you know. But you also see that in you know the complexity of somebody like George Harrison. You know, who, uh-huh. you know, there, there, there's this wonderful thing where, you know, he goes to way out of his way to do the concert for Bangladesh, you know, and then he's sitting there and sort of, you know, talking to this guy, Alan Steckler, who worked for Alan Klein, you know, right. was the artist contact, and talking about, he, he says something that really moved me, you know, that, uh, that Steckler told me. He said, he says, I try so hard to be the person I'm not. He said, I'm keeping the music Aww. publishing on Bangladesh. Well, you know, in other words, I'm not giving wow. everything away. You know, and, and it's really like, here's a guy who's like given and given and given. You know, mm-hmm. but he's also like a poor guy from Liverpool. 
You know, and that always what motivated these guys. I mean, it's so funny. You know, you see the Rolling Stones as sort of, you know, these bad boys. You know, the Rolling Stones were basically a bunch of middle-class guys. I mean, where the Beatles came from was really rough, you know, and apparently Harrison lived on the worst street of any of them. Yes. So, you you know, know, they were really hungry. The funny thing is about George, George was probably... Well, he, he, he did the India thing, and he really got into the gurus and stuff like that. But I think that – I think he brought about a lot of spirituality in that group, too. And a lot of people really true. brought grounded from that. That's true. That's true. Well, I mean, and, certainly, uh, you know, we were all – you know, whatever the Beatles did, we were all interested in. You know, Yeah, so. he, was, he was pretty intricate. He was probably one of the most interesting out of the four. I just – you know. Yeah, and, and you said something important, Holly, that I really agree with, is that I felt all my life that George was so spiritual. He was the bond, spiritual bond in that group. I really uh Yeah. Agree. You know. But you know, but you know what's interesting is if with Fred's outlook and hearing and and hearing some of the things that were said behind the scenes, it really gives you a different perspective, which is again what a lot of people, you have to be there to really know that it really is happening. Like outside, somebody may appear a certain way, but, and you know this, Fred, just from being around people and writing books and, and, and interacting with all these different musicians, people may appear a certain way and give off a certain persona, but really deep down inside, they might just be the most ugliest, bitter person, you know, and just have the most vindictive behavior. You know, mm-hmm. they're not all what they appear to be, which is really well, that, freaks, that, freaks me out. That that can certainly be true. The other thing that struck me over the years, of course, mm-hmm. is you know we credit we credit performers with all kinds of things and all kinds of you know abilities and talents, mm-hmm. which you know they may or may not have at certain times. I mean, in all my I've been I've been writing about music for thirty years now, you know, and mm-hmm. it was it was really funny. I mean, I started out where I met Spencer. I was working at a magazine called Cashbox, right. which, was, which was another music trade magazine, and you know we used to talk to anybody. You know, publicists loved us. You know, any new band that got signed, we were happy to talk to. And, you know, so bands would come into my office every week, you know. And it was nice to talk to young musicians, and I met some people I really liked. But, you know, after a while, you sort of get curious about the guy, the quiet guy standing in the wall that everybody kind of looks at for an answer once in a while. And it's always mm-hmm. a guy, or it always was back then. And I'm talking about the guy who was their manager. And, you know, I started to get this sense that, you know, there was this other role that was unperceived. And and my conclusion, you know, that started my thing like this other book that I did, The Mansion on the Hill, was like, look, you know, where, where there is a string of great albums, you know, that usually means we're looking at a great artist. Where there's a uh-huh. great career, there's probably a great manager. You know, and because, you know, the artists, you, you know, they're not going out and, and planning their careers, you know, except in one or two cases. You know, Mick Jagger has grown into that. You know, David Bowie did it. You know, and, and th- there are a few, few guys who do it. Almost no one does it. I, know, I mean, my, my opinion, Fred, in the music business, and I've been around it for 
30 plus years like you is that managers have the roughest job next to the road manager the the manager oh, is never the manager is like an agent and he's never appreciated most no. of them you know what i'm saying so oh, please i know you, you know that, Holly. So, I mean, Boston's a classic oh, story. Where, well, let me tell you this story. Boston, the manager, the first album sold, I don't know, 15 million, remember, Fred or Holly? Yeah. And the second album sold... I remember you Wait a minute, let me finish the story. So the second yeah, album yeah. sold less, but millions, and they fired the manager. They fired right. the manager because oh, he said he didn't do enough. That. Yeah, That's you know crazy. what I'm saying? Yes. That's crazy. And, and, you know, it's true. I mean, you you know, you can get into a no-win situation. You can also make a lot of money, you know. And and really, you know, my take on successful managers is, you know, that it's sort of a manipulation game. You know, you have to have the confidence, first of all, of your client. and, And second of all, you've got to have them thinking the way you want them thinking. Right. Uh You know, otherwise what you're saying is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, no. And personal, personal. I try to stay out of personal stuff too. That's the thing that I try. But how can you not if you're around somebody? Well, I mean, you you, know you, you can on. you can draw a line. You know, David Geffen mm-hmm. very famously told Crosby, Stills and Nash, "The first time you guys call me at three in the morning, you're going to need a new manager." You know, and, oh, and wow. you can do that. And I just recently read uh, Anthony Kiedis's, uh autobiography. You know, and he talks about oh. meeting uh, the guys at Q Prime. You know, uh, Cliff Bernstein uh-huh. and Peter Mitch. You know, right. and the first things they say, you know, after the the pe- Chili Peppers, their manager had retired, their original manager, and they were looking for a new manager. And Rick Rubin had said, "These guys are smart." So they met them, and the, one of the first things Peter Mitch said to them was like, "Look, we're not one of these hand-holding managers." You know, if you leave your, you know, if you've got a gig in Alaska and you left your coat at home, call FedEx. Don't call me. Uh, you know, so you have to be, you know, you have, to, you know, you have to be able to define it on some level and say, I'm here to provide a specific service. You know, I'm going to help mm-hmm. you plan your career. You know, I'm not going to walk your dog. No, absolutely. I mean, you, well, you know, know what interests me quick? in the book is that at this funeral, Oldham is the only uh-huh. one who shows up. Uh, well, Oldham's, yeah. Oldham's, no, you know, Yoko, Yoko came to the funeral. This was, yeah, um, yeah this, the, and and, it, and it's mentioned that you know Yoko and Sean came to the funeral, but oh, right, you know this right. was a memorial right. service, yep. and he was the only client mm-hmm. who came and spoke at the memorial service. Yeah, yeah. So he had that's some crazy. sort of, right? It is, you know, it's like what, that is. How that's it, really sad. That's really it is, sad. It is. It is. It is. That is. That's. I feel bad about that, but you know what? I wanted to say. Really but you know, quick, it's a, it's an old that, story because I, you know, I remember, you know, when Albert Grossman died. You know, who had managed mm-hmm. the, the band and Bob Dylan. Right. You know, I, I don't think a lot of the guys from the band came. You know, and uh, some of them didn't. No, they didn't. Bob Dylan didn't come. Yeah. You know, and and I remember Bob Krasnow, who ran Electra Records and was a good friend of Grossman's. Oh. Wow. You know, he said to me out of disgust about Dylan not being there. He goes, you know, I kind of lost interest in Bob Dylan. Then you get past this stuff. Oh, that's crazy. Oh. Again, I wanted to say really quick, we have Fred Goodman's new book, and uh, today is a special edition of the Indie Cafe on Red Velvet Media. If you tuned in late, the show will be available on iTunes afterwards, and the show today is Alan Klein, the man who bailed out the Beatles, made the Rolling Stones, and transformed rock and roll. And um, we do have Spencer Drake, myself, and if you'd like to call in, the number is 347-677-1036. And I just say that because 
a lot of times people will tune in really late and or they'll tune in the middle of the show and they don't really know what the show's about and then they'll listen to it and they'll download it. But I have to tell you, a lot of these shows have been being downloaded. And for anyone that's listening, there's a lot of really great information on these shows. Um, I wanted to ask you really quickly about another book that you wrote, The Mansion mm-hmm. on the Hill, with mm-hmm. Dylan Young, Geffen Springsteen, and the head-on collision of the rock and, ro- rock and commerce. I want to talk about that a little bit. Sure. If you don't mind. Uh- I, I don't mind. You know, again, as I say, that kind of grew out of my interest in what was the role uh-huh. of managers. You know, I mean, this uh-huh. thing, it's like I, I had i had met John Landau, who was Bruce Springsteen's manager, and he uh-huh. had left a deep impression on me. You know, he was one of the brightest people I ever met uh, and very savvy, very interested in money. You know, very hard-nosed. And I thought, you know, this is a power behind the throne. You know, this uh-huh. is a guy who's who's moving not just the career, but, you know, the music in a certain direction. Uh, and, and I'd like to write about things like this. So that was really it. You know, it was like, well, how much of it is about, you know, music? How much of it is about business? What does it mean to the artists? What's this relationship like? And and that was really what, what the book was really about. You know, how does it get done? How do you make sausage? Yeah, you see, I think you touch on a lot of things, though, that a lot of people really want to know about. And like I said, you have to be there. And I think that you give a lot of really great information to people about, you know, behind-the-scenes power brokers, like you were talking about David Geffen, John Landau, Albert Grossman. I mean, you know, I think it's really important that people know what's really going on because they think, you know, an artist just goes into a studio, they record it, somebody mixes it, it's out, it's packaged, there's a manager, they go on tour. They don't know about all the things that really go on behind, and I think and that you made and that And how really much clear. work it is, yeah. It, you is, know, a lot of it work. is a lot of work. Oh, my you God. You know, and, and to, me, to me as a reporter, of course, that was really, you know, when, they, when, when Jody Klein said to me, you know, we'll, uh-huh. we'll open our files to you, I mean, this to me is like, wow. You, you mean if I read these letters, if I read these memos, I'm going to know uh-huh. what was said when, you know, what did the Beatles say to each other when the door was closed? Yeah, you know, yeah. what are the Rolling Stones saying to their managers when they're preparing a tour? What are they thinking uh-huh. about? What do they want to do? How do they want to be perceived? I mean, you're going to find all of this out that way, not by what they say in public. You know, well, you Jag- have to kind uh-huh. of... Didn't Jagger, didn't Jagger have a cool, literally a cool relationship with Klein, right? He never he really... Did. Yeah, yeah. They, they they were not they were they they were you know they were kind of at loggerheads most of the time and you know Klein of course liked to needle Jagger you know I mean I, you know it's very funny he re, he has this big beautiful house in the Riverdale section of the Bronx you know and and uh, he always referred to it as the house that Jagger built you know. <laughs> Some of them that have been said over the years, 
you know, that, that he robbed them, you know, I think that's an exaggeration. You know, what he did not do was give them unvarnished advice. You know, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead, I'm sorry. What I was going to say, what I mean by that is the times were so different. You know, Alan is hired by the Rolling Stones because he can get a better deal than anybody, right? Yeah. And, and if you come into this, you know, you're a 21, 22-year-old Mick Jagger or Keith Richards, you've been making records for DECA for a couple of years, you haven't really seen any real money from your record company, and here's this guy who's supposed to be, you know, Andrew Oldham has just told you he's a financial genius. Right. And and he sits down with you, and Alan Klein's question to, you know, you, this 21-year-old, 22-year-old Mick Jagger will be, so what do you want? <laughs> And, and you know, if Mick Jagger being, you know, 1963 and he's a kid, he's going to think of the highest, biggest number he can think of. And he's going to say, I want a million dollars. I want a right? pony. I want a well, pony. Exactly. That's exactly right. I, I want a pony. I want a million dollars. You know, and, and Alan Klein, because, you know, will say to Mick Jagger, okay, I'll get you a million dollars. But really, mm-hmm. if he's being your business manager, the honest answer uh-huh. is that's the wrong thing to ask for. Right. Uh-huh. Okay. What, what, he doesn't what, necessarily educate them. What? How was Keith Richards? Uh, did he have a voice in this, Keith Richards? Keith Richards a... has a voice in this. Keith Richards was, you know, the Alan Klein partisan. Ah. He, he was the guy, I mean, he very, you know, he has a great line, you know. I mean, people said, oh, you guys wound up fighting with Klein. He took all this money from you. He goes, listen, he goes, everybody's going to try and rip you off. He says, I never learned so much, uh, you know, as when I had Alan Klein. He says, I consider it the price of an education. Wow. Wow. See, I, you know. think, I, think, he, I think he was really, he set a lot of standards with a lot of people. He also pissed a lot of people off, but he also yep. really had a very good, he had a strong Sadly. business sense. Oh, yeah. And I think that the part, that's the part that a lot of people really are listening. And you know what, I, I'm not listening, missing. And you know what, I wanted to ask you, Fred, um, for this book, and I want to ask you what you are currently working on and what we can look at coming out from you in the future because you're very passionate about what you do, obviously. And, uh, you know, well, I'd love you. to see what you're, what you're going to be coming out with because we'd love to have you back on the show. Well, thanks. I don't have I don't have a long uh, you know a long project at the moment. I'm just kind of looking around to see what I'd like to spend a couple of years on. But I, I'm you know doing newspaper and magazine stuff. I'm actually having a good time this week. I'm I'm working on a piece on a of a, a New York musician named Joe Baton who's been around forever and kind of having uh-huh. a bit of a renaissance. He was a Latin soul pioneer in the '60s wow. in East Harlem, and oh. uh, you know really? I'm, I'm writing about him. Oh, he's a fascinating guy. You know, and really? uh, that's that'll be for the New York Times, yeah. Dude, that'll be neat. Um, you know, you know what I think, Fred. I don't know. Him? I was talking to somebody the other day, and I, <clears throat> no one has done a, anything on Willie Deville, which really shocks me, actually. Because uh, you know they've done Johnny Thunder and you know that whole mm-hmm. area, but no one has done Holly anything on Willie Deville. This is you know what he was using. Great, he's a, he was a great singer, and he's a great. He's a part of the culture. He's like in that Johnny Thunder mode, you know what I mean? And not like Johnny Thunder, but he's in that area, and it's kind of like, um, 
I was just interested to think that no one has covered that interesting musician. You know, he well, he is an interesting musician. But you know, at one point you were asking me what I was thinking of doing. I was thinking about doing a book at one point about you know three fairly unknown musicians, people who I think were great oh, artists cool. that people don't really know about. But oh, you know, cool. it's really kind of a hard thing to do. It's it's <laughs> like how do you sell a book about people that no one's heard of? You know, and I'm not sure. Just don't want to hear that, Fred. But, you well, know, well that's that's exactly right. You know, and it's like, you know, I, I I don't know. I mean, it would be a great project, but it's like, then how do you get an audience? Right. Exactly. Totally. Well, you yeah. know what I well you do it. You, you, we could do it here on on, on <laughs> well, the radio. But I wanted to ask you. We could do it here. Trust me. Uh, we have lots of people listening right now. And to everyone listening in late again, you can tune in and listen to it as a podcast afterwards. But um, what I wanted to ask you, Fred, um, how do you – I know that you're working on this unknown artist, and, and that will be really cool because that I'd love to read because the Latin culture really it really intrigues me, and I love Latin mm-hmm. music. Um, what about uh, just like – the artists that are now today, like our our current artists, is there anyone that you would like to do a book on and um, maybe you know tell a little bit more behind the scenes? Like you know who intrigues me, Who's that? believe it or not, is um, Adele intrigues me a lot. I'd really like to know her whole story. Well, and, I think that is uh, a worthwhile re- story. Yeah. Yeah, I'd really like to know where she came from, you know, and and how and how she came to be because she's I've seen so many interviews with her and she seems so really down, but yet she has this sadness to her too, and I'd really like to know what that's all about. And then obviously, um, you know, Lady Gaga is a very controversial thing, but I mean, you know, she's leaving the music industry and now she's mm-hmm. going to record on her own and why and you know all that stuff. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, are there any book, any anybody that you'd like to do a book on right now that maybe you're thinking about that's out there that's a current performer? Well, you know, the, the closest I can come in this project of the the three people that I was going to write about, you know, mm-hmm. one is is a woman I, who almost no one's heard of, uh, whose okay. name was Lassa Lassa who was a singer okay. based in Montreal who passed away a few years ago, and she was sort of the first. She was a Mexican American, you know, born born mm-hmm. in the Woodstock area, who, you know, went on and made world music records. She was sort of the first world music chanteuse of America, and wow. she was not popular here. She was very big in Canada. She was popular in parts of Europe and this kind of thing. And you know, she tragically passed away in in her mid thirties from breast cancer. But she lived, know. you know, sort of a wonderful La Boheme, amazing life. You know, she was. Uh, her parents were, you know, stone-cold hippies, and, you know, she was raised completely off the grid in a school bus by, you know, maniac LSD parents, you know. In in a family, uh-huh. her sisters became circus performers. I mean, it's this amazing sort of wonderful family. Wow. Uh, you know, and, and uh, that really fascinated me, you know. But it's sort of What's the artist. What's music like? What's her music like? What kind of? You know, what, it's what fascinating. She, the, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's so fascinating. Her first record, which which you could find here on Atlantic, was a record called uh, La Llorona, and it was uh-huh. all in Spanish. And then her second record was in English, Spanish, and French. 
and her last record is all in English. Wow. And, wow, that's interesting. And it's really this last record, you know, is kind of an amazing. It's it's like it's like no record you've ever heard. It's just uh-huh. uh, you know, and 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 it's just called Lassa. And the reason I say it's like no record you've ever heard. First of all, instead of a piano, she's got a harpist in the band. It's a quartet with a harpist. Oh, you're kidding! And, and you know, guitar, <laughs> wow. and bass, and drums, and that's and then uh, but. Wow. She she made the record after being diagnosed with cancer, and oh. she never says I'm sick. I mean, it, but if you know she's sick, that's what the record's about. Mm-hmm. Wow! And you See, just you know hear her amazing. basically. I mean, it you know mm-hmm. it, it it'll chill you. You know you can find videos of her doing this on Vimeo. I mean, there's a song called Bells. You should look it up on Vimeo of her doing it in Montreal. I'm gonna I do swear that. to God, you're watching that. somebody sing themselves into the next world. That's incredible. Really? It, it's, it, you've you never seen anything like this. I like yeah. this. I like this. I like this. Yeah. And but, you know, you it's know, a great story, but, you know, sell it somewhere. That's the thing. I oh, love yeah. To hear, no, no, no. I love to hear the stories behind the artist, and you know who is a really great example is Edie Piaf. I mean, yes. nobody oh, really yeah. knew who she right. was. Amazing. Nobody really knew who she was and really mm-hmm. didn't appreciate her music, and now... It's like off the charts. You hear her music right. in a ton of movies. I mean, background yeah. music. Love. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's like an unknown. And then it was like, it was then just discovered and people like you putting out people's names. And that would be great. So the video is called Bells and it's on Vimeo. Yeah, it's on Vimeo. It's Lasa Decella, you know, it, it, Bells yeah. on Vimeo. Go go go! Take okay. a look at this, and you know, like I say, she made three albums. You can find them all on Spotify. You know, uh, the the Living Road, the second record she made, won all kinds of awards as World Music uh, Awards. Really, it's an unbelievable record. Yeah, all three records wow. are worth hearing. But the the second, is, you know, the first one's all in Spanish. The second is French, Spanish, and English, and the third is all English. And uh, it, it's just like. You know, the growth of this person as an artist is just astounding. Fred, you know mm-hmm. what you got to do a book on? you got to do a book on Seymour Stein. Do you think oh, – well, why do you say that? Crazy. Well, why? Yeah. Because Seymour's in uh, – you know, he was my mentor at Sire. Right. But, you know, he really invented punk in the United States. Besides being the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with major credentials – yeah, he he runs around, and I try to get him to do a book, and he just runs around. But the guy, his background's unreal. I mean, you can imagine his background. He's been in so many documentaries, uh, uh, major punk documentaries, CBG. You know, he was he was sort of. I mean, you you may know this. You know, he was a 15 year old kid working at Billboard. Yeah, he didn't was. Know. He, he was he was sort of the office boy in the chart department. Oh my God! And and uh, he would sit oh, and like funny. you know write down and copy things out of you know the old <laughs> charts and learn the business that way. But he's big. I mean, Spencer, his, his background is that, his background should that's should you. come out. That's you know, Spencer. That's <laughs> you, Spencer. And he actually just brought our favorite our favorite friend, Bernard Stolman. Bernard Stolman. Oh, Bernie Stolman. Oh yeah, Bernard. So, but I but Seymour Bernard. is one of these guys that should have a. Bernard had a book out already, but Seymour hasn't had a book. You see, he hasn't had a book. No, he and hasn't. And he's dynamic. He has a dynamic background. Do you know this, Fred? Yes, I, mean, I do. He's he's uh, you know I've met Seymour. He's a very very interesting guy. Oh, are you kidding? Now, and he's, now, he's, 
Go ahead. Go I'm ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was going no, to no. say not to change the subject, but I was going to ask Fred, what does he know about Bernard? I mean, it was very interesting. I talked to him probably the day before he had, went to the next place. I don't like to say people die. Then he went to the next place, and basically, he was, like, so in the game and so excited, and, you know, Spencer has so many amazing stories about how he used to, like, support all the artists that used to come in. He used to write checks and pay their rent, and Billie Holiday. Oh, yeah, yeah. He used to call He's got he, great he stories. He, and you're right, Holly. He has amazing stories. He's another he one, does. and and no one has he, written about him himself. No one's. Well, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. I had uh, I had a friend who recorded for ESP, uh, uh-huh. and and he was he was not a fan of Bernard's, frankly. Oh, they won't be. No one's going to be. A, wait a minute, Fred. No one's going to be a fan of Bernard's. I'll tell you why. He had no money. He didn't yeah. pay. He didn't pay musicians. I can tell you this right now. Yeah. He had to have. I mean, his records were like I don't know. But but the stories around him and the people that he you know he oh, no, the, the, the jazz musicians first jazz famous jazz musicians. Yeah, oh no, I, I know about the jazz musicians. But yeah, you know, he also he was a big uh, advocate for Esperanto. That's and, right. You know, he made oh, he made my friend God. record an album in a, he made my friend record one of his albums in Esperanto. Oh, no, totally. And you know what was funny? I have to tell you guys about something. He used to call me up. He'd call me up in the middle of the night sometimes because he'd be listening to music, and he said, oh, my God, oh, my God, you won't believe what I just found. I just found all this unreleased Janis Joplin music and all this unreleased Jimi Hendrix right. music, and, oh, my God, what am I going to do with it? I'm going to send it to their kids, and I, I can't I can't do anything with it. And, and then he's got this Billy Holiday box CD set that he was trying to get out. Yeah, you know it's really oh bad. Holly, Holly, and I know this that the people who took it over now are not good people. Uh, uh, literally, I don't not know that. Let's not say that. Let's not say that on the air. Well, okay, <laughs> we won't say, say it, but right he said now. it. <laughs> no, but we know it. We know, yeah, because you know what? They did not carry on his legacy the way he wanted it, and that's all I'm going to say. Right. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to say one more. I'm going to say one more thing. He did not want to be cremated. Thank you. That's right. And they did. That's it. That's all That's I it. to say about that. <laughs> hey, listen, Spencer, Spencer and I should write our own books about what, who we know about people behind the scenes, okay? Oh, my God. Because, yeah, we should write a book. I mean, we we oh should write a book, Holly. I know. We should write a book. Fred can write it for us. Fred can write That's a book right. for us. You're you're hired, Fred. Thank you. Fred. I know I've got my next couple of years spoken for, yeah. Well, because, you know, I mean, with all the work that Spencer's worked, with all the album covers and all the people that he's met, Joan Jett and the people that he's worked with and and Bon Jovi and how, how Judas styled him for his first photo shoot, I mean, that was, that's a story in its own. Do you know that story? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, well Bon Jovi's first photo shoot, which is a classic album, and uh, we went to, uh, I remember went to Columbus Circle, and the stylist was terrible, so Judith ended up styling the group, (laughs) literally, I mean, it was like she's thrown into this thing, but Judith is really visual, great person, so there's never a problem, we did a book where someone couldn't do the food setup, and she did it, you know what I mean, it's like, but, but anyway, funny. I mean, the stories that I've had in my life are amazing. I mean, I, everybody says I should write a Both book, too. I'm sure Holly yeah. has amazing stories, so I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. You know, I know Holly Fred, has amazing Fred, stories. 
Fred, we both have great stories, and you know what? I'm going to be coming out with a cookbook soon that that's right. going to help me with it. <laughs> Holly <laughs> is a great cook, called, Fred. Unbelievable it, cook. Forget about it. It's going to be called Holly's Delicious Dishes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love swear, it. I've already got the, I've already bought the website. I've already got all of it. I already, already right. do it. I'm ready to go. And wait, that <laughs> brings up for this coming Wednesday, Fred. If you want to hear the best chocolate stories, this coming Wednesday we have a chocolate show right before Valentine's Day yeah. with our friend Peter out of New York that Spencer turned me on to. That now I'm like addicted to his drinking chocolate. Um, <laughs> Fred, Fred, you're in New York, right? Yes. Okay, tell him where this where the chocolate shop is. He's got to go in there. It's on 79th Street. I I believe it's 221 West 79th between Broadway and Amsterdam, and it's incredible chocolate shop. Oh, you gotta go. You know they make hot chocolate with a, a real chocolate base, which a lot of the chocolate places don't do. It's don't amazing. Do, right. Yeah, okay. it's, it's amazing. Okay, oh, I yeah. Tell you, over the top. Yep. And they're going to be on Wednesday, but, you know, we are so excited to be talking to you today because this was like an interview. We didn't know when it was going to happen, and we were so happy that you found yeah. time to be able to be Well, I'm delighted to be here, so thank you. Yeah. Excellent. Are you kidding? So we are closing our show today with a Sam Cook. Um, song. You want to tell me a little bit about the, your Sam Cooke story? Anything? Do you know anything about that? Well, what record are you playing? We are going to close with the Sam Cooke store song. I believe it's A Wonderful World. Okay. Well, you know, Alan got involved with Sam, uh, you know, and, and it was Sam who convinced Alan to become uh, a manager after he had already done some bookkeeping for him. He wound up renegotiating his deals uh, with publishers, with uh, RCA Records, uh, and, you know, they they were uh, sort of made for each other. You know, Sam was one of, I would say, the two artists that Alan – really kind of fell in love with, you know. Uh, the other one was John Lennon, you know, and, oh. and he really, you know, felt, felt that, wow. you know, Sam, you know, was not, you know, was not a typical man, you know, that he was somebody very special. And, and uh, yeah. you know, when Sam was killed, you know, I, I think it was, you know, a, a big blow, both not just to Alan, but obviously to all of us. Oh, yeah. you're kidding me. You know what's really funny, Spencer? Every single yeah. show yeah. that I've done, with or without you, or on my own with Red Velvet Media or Indie Cafe, mm-hmm. John Lennon is a common thread in every single show that I've done. His name okay. comes up somewhere in the in 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 either when I had Nancy Lee Andrews on and we talked about Ringo Starr and her co-writing Las Brisas and um, you know everything else. I mean, it's just like John's always there. He's always there. He's eternal. Isn't that crazy? Wow. You know? That is amazing. And, you know, I mean, even when I had Ron Apria on, you know, and he did the whole John Lennon jazz CD. Have you heard that, Fred? Have you no, heard, I haven't. Um, oh, my gosh. Ron Apria, he's a jazz. He plays saxophone. His wife is uh, um, Angela De Niro, and 
and his son plays violin, and they are a jazz musical family. And he did, he decided because he worked on Walls and Bridges with Elton John and mm. and with John, and and uh, he did that. He played on that, and he decided he was going to do as a tribute to John because he loved John so much a jazz CD, and he took the best of what he thought he loved of the Beatles songs, and he made them into jazz songs, and they're beautiful, and they're just beautiful, and um, the Imagine on the jazz CD is just unbelievable. It's like, almost like, I feel like if on, they should be playing in a playing at um, the end in New Year's. I know they always play Imagine John Lennon, but this is just like an unbelievable song. It's so beautiful. Okay. And, Thank uh, you. So I want to ask everyone here, what what are you guys doing for Super Bowl? Fred, what are you doing? I'll probably go skiing. <laughs> oh, nice. Where, where, where? Oh, you know, just up at the Berkshires. Oh, nice. And Spencer? Well, I'm doing something very unusual. I'm bored about the Super Bowl parties that Judith and I have been invited to. So I'm uh-huh. going to stay home, Holly, and watch the game and enjoy mm-hmm. myself and just cool out. Because by the time I get to halftime, I want to leave. You know, it's like <laughs> I can't, and well, I can't handle know, halftime. Halftime the is ridiculous. are the best part. But you know what, what everybody doesn't know is... The commercials are the best part, but you know what everybody You're right. know. I watch. You're exactly I right, watch. Holly. The, the commercials are the, the best part. Bowl. They have some incredible commercials. I watch the puppy bowl and the kitten bowl, and it's funny <laughs> people laugh at me about that, but I do. I actually love watching the puppy bowl. The and, puppy bowl. Um, wow. Let's see. Let's see. If I feel better, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go have dinner with Yvonne tonight. Um, actually, Great. we want to talk about that. Um, there's yep. a David Bowie concert coming up in uh, L.A., which is benefiting um, the Maxis Kansas City Project, which I think is really great. It's enabling – it's going to help with youth, mm-hmm. the youth and everything. And uh, and then also, um, let's see. If I feel better, I'm going to go meet her for dinner. And then tomorrow um, I'm going to go to that memorial for the gentleman that was the surfer that, um, that I told you about that passed away. But uh, – they're yeah. doing a memorial, and they're starting a whole kids' surfing school. That's what's happening out here in California, That's Fred. That's great. You know? That's great. Yeah, I, I want to make then, one um, announcement. But, oh, okay, go ahead. No, yeah, finish. Uh, but I want to make an announcement no, 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 if you no, finish. No. Yeah. Oh no, I have well, such a busy schedule. I don't do sh- I don't do shit normally. <laughs> I'm <think laughs> talking about. And Monday is the Chinese New Year's, guys. It's the yeah. year of the. Do you know what it is? You're the I monkey. Don't know. Oh, it's the year okay. of the monkey. Monkey, I don't yeah. know. But let, I want to make one announcement. I am, I'm going to be part of a very dynamic show on the Ramones, which will be at the Queens very Museum cool. starting in April, and uh, goes and travels to the the Grammy Museum in L.A. It's a very historical show, and I have some of my album covers in. It's a great honor for me and anybody involved with the show. So I just want to tell people ahead of time: this is the first public announcement of it. It just was announced two days ago, so... Yay! And we're going to do You know, and April it. 10th, Holly, fly out here, please, for the opening. You're invited, yes, you know, and yes, Fred. Yes. Fred, you can go, Fred, for free. <laughs> Fred! 
Fred, I want to April. go skiing this weekend. That sounds like fun. <laughs> no, 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 seriously. I used to go. I I love skiing. And my daughter, I used to take her skiing when she was little. She loves skiing. Oh, skiing is so much fun. Have you, do you yep. snowboard? No, just skiing. Just ski. Yeah, snowboarders kind of drive me a little crazy, but you know what? I love skiing. It's so freeing, you know? It's wonderful. Got to be careful. Yeah. Got to yep. be careful on those slopes. So um, do we have any other announcements to make besides Wednesday's show and then Valentine's Day coming up, which uh, everybody's going to be all hyped out on chocolate from, I'm sure. Yeah, I think um, I think Hollywood going to elect Fred Goodman as the head in the White House at the music department. That would be awesome. I think I think he should. I think Fred, you should do that. And we're going well, to get you to do a book. We're going to get you to do a book on our stories. And you know, Spencer and I, we've decided that what we want to do is maybe start our own morning program. You know, where people when they're driving to work, they can listen to us talking back and forth about stupid stuff. But the stories, the stories, things. Holly, the stories. Oh yeah, no. We've always got stories, I know. Oh, lots of But, Fred, I want to thank you so much for being here today because we were so excited when we finally got a date to do this Finally, we got Fred on. Oh, my God, I love it. Well, thank you, guys. It was really fun. Guys, I'm going to give your website out again. Please, guys, if you really want to read a really great book, and, I mean, I read the book, and it was just like I had to – it was, like, so fun. Yeah. Um, it's fredgoodman.net, and the book is available also on all the major networks, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, Books A Million, Apple, Authors Guild. It's, uh, it's you know, there, it's, it's everywhere, and uh, you can find his other works of art um, on his website. And we look forward to having you back and hearing what you're going to be doing your next book on. And I'm going to look up that Vimeo video that sounds kind of like a good deal to look up yeah I oh think listen i want to add something that the book is uh published by houghton mifflin company right so everybody awesome. knows that they're awesome they're a great publishing house they are, yeah, they are. that's great well i want to thank right. you fred and for everyone out there please do not drink and drive it's friday um i always tell everybody that because you know it's really important a lot of people don't yeah. realize and especially this weekend, guys, it's going to be a very crazy weekend out there. And, uh, you know, don't overindulge. And if you're going to, just take a driver with you and uh, or just decide to uh, eat a lot of food. <laughs> <laughs> just eat the food. It's going to be good for you, you know. And then you can go to yoga or whatever later. But anyway, thank you so much, Fred. And with that, we're gonna we're gonna end our show with um, the Sam Cook song. And uh, with that, thank you so much, Fred, and thank you, Spencer, for being here today. And hey, we will see everybody next Wednesday as we have Peter from Viola Chocolate. I'm All saying right. that right. Is it is it Viola or is it Viola? Viola. I think it's Viola. Viola. Oh. Viola. Viola. Fred, this guy has a chocolate fountain in his window. You've got to go there. <laughs> it is. It's like flowing chocolate. <laughs> it's insane. All right, guys. Have okay. a good again. Hey, take care. Take care, Fred. Get in touch. Get in touch, Fred. Okay, Spence. Okay. See you guys Bye. later. Bye. Okay. Hey, hey, hey. Hey. Don't know much about 
Chegou lá.